All right, welcome everybody. Good to see you. So, so, somebody, you're, you're part of Centerpoint for a long time. You're like, wait a minute, what's John doing with a blazer on? It's not Christmas. It's not Easter. <laughs> I just had this feeling that Pastor Will was going to come up here in a vest and a tie. I woke up this morning literally thinking that, and it happened. And so I came ready for the occasion. <laughs> Actually... I was also thinking to myself, you know what, we got graduates this weekend, and I want to I wanna, I wanna just honor graduates in my own way. And so here, there you go, a little bit of, a little bit of bling for the uh, grads. Anyway, I was, uh, I was thinking about graduation and last days of school, right? And, and it's, it's always such a great thing when you're in school and you got that last day of the last week of the year. And I was thinking about it, you know, yesterday was, you know, or Friday was June 4th, the last day of school for a lot of people. And I suddenly was remembering this one particular year when I was finishing the seventh grade. And in where I grew up out in New Jersey, the, the seventh grade at that time was in the same school building as the, the whole entire high school. And uh, we lived in the neighborhood just on the other side of the, of the woods in this little creek that ran by. And so the last day of school, I ran out of the doors of the school with my backpack and I just ran across the field and I just remember shouting like, woohoo! Come on, you know the feeling, right? Where it's just, you're done with it all. I'm running across the field and I know where that creek is. And for me, mentally, it's like when I get across that creek, that's it. That's when I'm really done with all of this stuff, right? And, and so I'm running across the field, and while I'm running, I take my backpack off, and I unzip it while I'm going. I get down to the creek, where the creek is. I, I'm pulling the stack of binders and papers and three rings and spirals and books, and I pull it out of my hand while leaping through the air, throw it all into the air, splash into the creek, and just dance around in the creek on that last day, shouting like, it's done, you know? And I was imagining all of the goodness that was about to come my way called summer, right? None of you can relate to what I just did, right? You're all like, what? No, no, we can all relate to that. There's a sense for all of us of, of the excitement when, when we know that something's done and when we got to the end of it, when we came to the, the last day of it, right? And, and so I want to just talk for a minute about that, that last day, and I want to stretch it out a little bit by adding an S and use the term last days. Everybody say the last days. Okay, so I want to talk to you today about uh, the last days. And we're going to turn in the scriptures in a few minutes to Mark chapter 13. You can make your way there uh, now. But uh, the last days are, are, are important. And for us who are believers in Jesus Christ, it is part of our faith that we have an expectation that there will be something called the last days when Christ will come again. That's part of our faith. And uh, in the Bible, there are lots of different terminologies that are used to describe the second coming of Jesus. Sometimes it is called the last day. Sometimes it's referred to as a, a period of time called the last days. Sometimes a, a certain translation might call it the end times. Uh, one verse, Joel 2.31, calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. Sometimes it's called the day of judgment. Or judgment day. Other times it's called simply the second coming or the coming of the Son of Man. But there's all these different uh, terminologies that are used in the Bible that all refer to basically the same thing. Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus is coming again. And it's part of our Christian faith and our hope that there is, there is something of a last day 
when, you know, all of the tests and, and all, of the, all of the work and all of the things that we've had to deal with, we get to cross over that river, so to speak, and have our own dance of celebration. I mean, that's ultimately what it's about for everyone who's a believer, that there is a, a last day experience that includes a great celebration for everyone who's a believer in Jesus, because the work is over, the tests are done, no more finals is done. And so when you think about the last days, it should provoke a, a sense of, of hope. But here's the other thing about the second coming. We're talking about Jesus Christ coming again. And if it were just, you know, the, the hippie peace sign in the air, uh, you know, hair-waving kind of hippie Jesus kind of just coming back and saying, hey, it's me, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, I'm back. <laughs> it would be no problem. But it's, it's, it's not that. What you find in the scriptures, especially in the book of Revelation, is a depiction of the second coming of Jesus that'll shake your soul a little bit. It should, because it depicts our Jesus coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, riding a white horse and his robes dripping with blood, he comes back as the ultimate warrior. And he has a scepter in his hand and he has a double-edged sword flying out of his mouth. And he comes back ready to wipe out every ounce of wickedness that there is, every ounce of false prophecy that there is, every ounce of hatred and strife and every bit of idolatry. He comes to kick butt and take names. And in particular, when he comes, he comes to kick the beast butt and to toss the false prophet into the lake of fire. When Jesus Christ comes again, he comes as the ultimate warrior. And it, it is important for you and I to understand this. This is our Jesus. Sometimes we get a vision of Jesus from Christmas uh, to, to Easter, and we think that we've got it all dialed in. We know exactly who he is and what he's like. But there is more to him than the baby who came in a cradle and the, the one who taught and did miracles and offered his own life as a sacrifice and then died and then rose. There's more to him than that. And you see a glimpse of the more of who he is in those uh, passages such as Revelation 19. Now, here's what I, what I think. I think for some of us, we're aware that, wow, times have gotten really hard and maybe we're in the last days right now. Some of us may, uh, may come to that conclusion. My personal sense is that Mark chapter 13 describes a series and sequence of difficulties and trials that aren't even close to the main event. They're birth pangs. And as hard as things have been, even in this last year, when I read the scriptures, I go, this is not even close to what you read about in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Like, we're not, in my view, we're not quite there. Yeah, God could speed up the clock or whatever, and, and we could be there before we know it. But, but I want to just put that out there right from the get-go and, and state to you that there are lots of ways of understanding all of the things that the Bible talks about as the last days. And I, I want to simply focus on this fact. He's coming back. No matter what you believe about the sequence, no matter what you believe about the timeline, he's coming back. And if you're a believer, you get to have great hope about that. He's coming back. Just shout, he's coming back. Yes, he is. He's coming back. And so my question is, so what do I do? If I know he's coming back, what does that mean for me? Well, what it means for me is that 
I have an opportunity to step up my faith, to increase my love, and to hold on to hope because he's coming. And that's my message today. And if you're a note taker, you could just write this down. This is the main idea of this message, to step up your faith, to increase your love, and to hold on to hope because he's coming. That is what I believe we have an opportunity to do when we consider the fact that, uh, that Christ is coming and that there's a, a last day moment for us. Okay, so think about the last day of school for a moment again. Back to that, right? Uh, this past year, the last day was June 4th. And uh, the, school, the school district published that a year in advance or more. And if you wanted to, you could take out a calendar and pin it up on your wall and go to June 4th and circle it with a big red marker and, and write the last day right there. You could write a big crazy smiley face because you're looking forward to it. And, and you'd be able to do that. And every single day of the year, you could literally count down to exactly when it's, it's done. But with the last days that we're talking about, with the second coming of Christ, you cannot do that. You just cannot do that. You can't. In fact, uh, again and again, the scriptures guarantee us that the second coming of Christ will happen all of a sudden. That's the title of this series, All of a Sudden. And we've been diving into this reality where there are certain moments in Scripture where even the word and the phrase suddenly is used. And it kind of captures our attention and tunes us into the fact that sometimes God takes a long time to then do something all of a sudden. And the second coming is absolutely in that category. God's taken a long time to do something that will, hum, will come and happen all of a sudden. And so uh, with all that in mind, I want us to hear a little bit of what Jesus says about the second coming. So we're making our way to Mark chapter 13. And Mark 13, we're just jumping in at verse 32. Jesus is talking about that last day of his own second coming and has some words for some of us to take to heart today. Here's the words of Jesus, Mark 13, 32. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. Why don't you just say that phrase, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Come on, shout, Watch. This is the heart of Jesus, and, and he's, he's looking forward to his own second coming, what we call the last days, and the last day. And, and he's saying, of, of all of the things I could tell you about it, here's what I want to tell you. It's something sudden. You're not going to know the day or the hour. Don't be found sleeping, and keep watch. Watch. You've got an assigned task, and stay with that. 
And so this is Jesus speaking about his own second coming in a way that I hope we would, would take to heart and that we would actually do what he says, that we would actually watch. Uh, again, in verse 36, he said, If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, say that last word, say it, watch, watch, watch. A couple, uh, a couple, actually it was a couple of months ago now, but I had this moment where I was at home and I, and, and I really, really wanted a treat. And I'm looking for a treat and I can't find, we don't have any cookies, we don't even have any chocolate chips, you know, and, and I'm looking for something, I need a treat. You know what that feeling is like, you just have to have a treat, you know, and I'm going through the ca uh, cabinets and then finally I find this box of Pop-Tarts that I had hidden from my children and it was still there. <laughs> Am I the only parent that does that? <laughs> and I got this Hostess flavored uh, uh, Pop-Tarts and I brought them down, I'm like, yes, and I'm going to have a treat. And I just open up the foil package and I, I go over here, I'm going to just pop that thing in the toaster and wait three minutes and I'm going to have a treat and I go over to the, uh, to the place where the toaster is and I'm about to put the Pop-Tart into the toaster, but the toaster is just flat out gone. Gone. Like here's where the toaster is supposed to be. It's supposed to be right there for years. It's just right there. Every day, it's right there. And I'm walking over to it and I'm looking at the counter. I'm like, where did the toaster go? And I'm like brushing the counter as if that's going to help make the toaster come back, right? I'm like, where's the, where's the toaster? And, and I'm looking around. I, I look in that drawer. I open that drawer as if the toaster's going to fit in that drawer. <laughs> I'm looking in every single drawer and cabinet. I'm like down on my knees, scurrying back and forth. I'm like, where's the toaster? I need my treat. I run and look in the hall closet. I go out and I look in the garage. I come back into the kitchen and I'm going through the backs of all of the cabinets, like down in the very back corner, looking for the toaster. And Ann comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And I jump up and I'm like, babe, what did you do with our toaster? Did you throw it away? I get really illogical in these moments, right? When you're hangry, hangry for a treat, something messes with your mind, right? And so I'm like, did you sell it? Did you donate our toaster to Savers? Where's the toaster? And, and she, because and, I've been watching over here, right on that countertop for it, and she points over this way and she says, it's right there. <laughs> the whole entire time is right there. It's right there, right on the countertop. But I was watching in the wrong direction. And I guess, uh, here's what I want to say. When Jesus says about the second coming, watch, I think it means something particular. Right, and we hear watch, and what sometimes happens is we say, okay, I'm going to watch for it. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch. I'm going to read every headline of the news coming out of Israel. Oh, my gosh. I just saw something else happen in Israel. It's a sign. Oh, wait. The scripture talks about the end times, talks about Gog and Magog equals Russia. And oh, my gosh. I just saw a headline in the paper about a, a Russian fighter jet flying along an American jet. It's a sign. The end is near. Come on, y'all know somebody like that, don't you? <laughs> don't say anything if they're sitting right next to you. <laughs> but, but there is some kind of an inclination to get really caught up in watching in a certain direction. But when I, when I hear the words of Jesus, I, I don't get a sense that his passion would be that we would watch in that way. But instead that we would watch how we're living. Because no matter when he comes back, and no matter what my belief about what the sequence of events needs to be, because of the, the weeks in Daniel or the Revelation 17, see, it doesn't, it doesn't change my assignment. Right. It doesn't change my assigned task, right. which is ultimately about loving God, loving people well. And that would be being awake rather than being asleep. And didn't Jesus say, hey, don't let them find you sleeping? And, and the... 
the implication for us is that when we watch, we're watching how we're living. That's what I think Jesus would be calling some of us to. In, in fact, when you think about it, the end is near. Jesus started out his ministry by saying, the kingdom of God is, is at hand, or another translation, the kingdom of God is near. And we can take this uh, idea of the last days and we can, in fact, say the end is near. It always is near. It always has been near. For every generation of those of us who have a hope in the second coming, it's always true. The end is near. It, it's about a mindset of recognizing, yes, he could, in fact, come at any moment. He can do whatever he wants. He's the Lord. And our hope is in his second coming, and it can happen anytime, all of a sudden. And, and, and we're called to watch ourselves and how we're living. In another moment when Jesus was talking about the end times, in Luke chapter 24, he said this about that moment. He said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Why don't you read these words out loud with me from verse 34, from the top. Ready? Go. Be careful or your heart will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. That day will close on you suddenly like a trap. So Jesus is saying clearly, when you are watching for that last day, watch yourself and how you're living. And he says, be careful, your hearts will be weighed down with carousing. Somebody last night said, carousing, what's that? I don't know what carousing is. Have you ever been to uh, Lake Havasu, Copper Canyon? Okay, so somebody knows, right? Like carousing. It covers a whole lot of ground of just all kinds of wrong, right? So, so this, is, this is something that Jesus is, is saying to you and me. Watch yourself. How you're living matters. The choices you're making on a day-in, day-out basis, it really matters. And, and would you be a person who would, who would step up your faith and increase your love and hold on to hope because he's coming? Because that is the core of the assignment. In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus was talking about the last days and he, he tells this parable of these, uh, what's called the 10 virgins, 10 young women that are part of the bridal party, so to speak. And these 10 young women are, are, are supposed to be waiting, right? And, and they have lamps and the lamps need to have oil in them. And five of these young women had oil in their lamps and were ready for the coming of the groom. But five of these young women did not have oil in their lamps. And they, they were called foolish young women because of that. What is that all about? It was Jesus, if I could just summarize. It was Jesus saying, yes, I'm coming back. And you are supposed to be people who know that you are the light of the world. Lamps with oil in them are about the light shining as it's supposed to. It's about you and me recognizing that as believers, our call is to be people in whom God's light is burning brightly and burning and shining into the dark places in this world. It's about recognizing the call of God for us to be people who shine the light of Jesus and his great mercy into every hurting part of this world. It's about living as people who know that we are on assignment to make a difference and to, to cause shadows to flee and the brightness of God to be revealed. This is who you and I are called to be, and that's who we're meant to be as the last days approach all the more. It's people who have oil in our lamps. 
that, that therefore have a light that's shining through our lives that's making a difference in this world. There's somebody around you who's hurting. You're the one who's got the light of Jesus and it's meant to be coming alongside of them and bringing some brightness. You've got a sense of stirring about an injustice in this world. Well, guess what? You're meant to have oil in your lamp that causes the light of Jesus to shine through you that does something about that injustice and brings the goodness of God to bear on it. This is how you and I are meant to watch, to watch what we're doing with our lives and to see to it that we're actually stepping up our faith, increasing our love, and holding on to hope because he's coming. I want somebody to just shout amen. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5. There's another passage that gives a little bit more definition to this second coming of Christ. And so this, hear this, 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Make note of that. You start reading some blog and it's talking about, we know that the date is going to be September 24th, 2024 because of the Shemitah. I'm sorry. No. You, you do not. About times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Do you, do you catch that? I, it's very captivating. Believe me, I know. I've been down the rabbit trail of all those blogs and websites and podcasts that have a person who claims to be the guru that's figured it all out. No. About the times and dates, here's the Bible. We do not need to write to you. Resist getting caught up in that obsession. It, it actually doesn't end up leading you, most likely, to, to living the kingdom life most powerfully as you should. It's enough to know he is coming. He is. And I'm going to live ready for no matter what timeline that might include. So again, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Verse 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. Come on, say amen. (laughs) This is God reminding you who you are, right? But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So that day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at Copper Canyon. I mean, (laughs) at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Aren't you grateful? But God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Do you see how the Bible itself talks about the last days and, and, and directly says, in a sense, don't get caught up about trying to know the day or the hour. That's just not going to help. But what will help most is a confidence in your faith and awareness that he is coming, and then a willingness to live your life differently, bringing encouragement and help to others. 
Like that's the broad brush of the scripture and what God calls for for any of us as we consider uh, the last days. But two words jumped out at me in, in verse six. It said, let us be awake and sober. Did you catch that? Just say it, awake and sober. Awake and sober. These are two things that, that characterize how we're meant to be in terms of thinking about the last days and the second coming of Jesus. Awake and sober. First of all, awake. Awake. Awake to the things of God. Awake to the way God is prompting you in your life. Awake to the movement of the Spirit of God in this world. Awake to the, the reality of revival that God wants to bring into church and communities and the whole entire nation and the world. Awake to where God is showing up and doing miracles. Awake to how his kingdom is actually advancing. Awake to how you're meant to be a part of it. Awake. Stop sleeping. I believe that this word of God is a wake-up call for somebody. Awake. Awake. Get spiritually awake. I mean, do it. It's good that you come to church, but God's going, I have more for you. I want you to be awake to what I want to do through your life. You have a calling and a purpose and a destiny to make my love known to somebody in particular. Go do it. Like, this is what you get to do. This is what we get to do. Be awake and sober. Sober. Now, this is not a message about not getting drunk. But on the other hand, it was pretty clear in a couple of the scriptures that we've looked at already that it was on Jesus' mind when he was thinking about the end times in Luke 24, right? He mentioned it. It shows up here in 1 Thessalonians 5, let us not be drunk. Like So this is maybe a word for somebody because you've gotten into a pattern in your life that way too often includes just slipping away into drunkenness. And of course you're not going to advertise that fact on a Sunday morning at church and I'm not going to ask you to stand up and raise your hand right now. But, but I think maybe you could just receive this as a word of God out of his grace and love for you. It's like he's saying, I have something better for you. I have so much goodness for you, but you're not going to catch it if you're intoxicated. And, and by the way, the word that we use here for drunk, it's got to include lots of, uh, of other kinds of substances. Because just because yours isn't mentioned here doesn't mean it isn't included in that concept. And so... I think we do need to think about sober and take it at face value. And for some of us, it's time for a course correction in our lives. Because we can do better and he can help us by his grace. But being sober is also about a mindset. It's about a mindset. A mindset of not being idle, but making the most of the moment that we have. Because we don't know whether the time is long or very short. Sober is about, uh, about being ready to take action. Sober is about moving with purpose. Sober is about recognizing that the stakes are very high and that people need Jesus and that you're God's plan for how that's going to happen. Awake and sober. I want you to just say, God help me to be awake and sober. Pray it with me one more time. God help me to be awake and sober. <laughs> yes, there are last Days And we get the challenge from God's word of being awake and sober. But verse 8 gives us uh, another, another call. It says in verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So here, there are three things in particular 
that God said, put them on. Put them on here, put them on there. Faith, love, and hope. And that's why my message today, when I consider the end times, whether it's near or far away, this is God's heart for you and me. To step up the faith, to increase the love, and to hold on to hope. Because he's coming. And so maybe it's time for somebody right now to, to do just that. To in, increase the love or to step up the faith. Step up your faith. I'm telling you, somebody today, this is what God has for you. Step up your faith. Your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Your faith in what Jesus wants to see you accomplish in your life. Your faith in what Jesus is able to do in that impossible situation. Your faith in the truth of God's word. Your faith that's expressed in an adoration and worship rather than hold back and play it cool. Your faith that's stirred up to serve the Lord and build up the kingdom of God in some kind of way. Your faith, stir it up, step it up. I want you to look at somebody sitting next to you and tell them, step up your faith. Hopefully everybody got told. Step up your faith and increase your love. If it's the last days and it was already prophesied that the love of many would grow cold in the last days, then watch yourself. And decide, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that cold-heartedness. I'm going to increase my love with the grace of God helping me. And I'm commissioning you, increase your love. You want to do right as you think about the end times? Increase your love. Yeah. Increase your love. And let that love show up. Let that love show up in, in going after reconciliation with somebody where there's been brokenness. Let that love show up in a willingness to forgive even though what was done was so wrong. Let that, that love show up in, in a willingness to to lay down your life in, in serving somebody. Let that love show up in a change of your own disposition and tone with the people that are around you in your life and in your work. Let that love be increased in your willingness to give the goodness of God to somebody rather than your own cold shoulder. Increase the love. Look at somebody sitting near you and tell them, increase the love. Come on. If we, if we would do this, I think we'd be more ready for his coming than we would have been otherwise, and then hold on to hope. I'm talking to you, somebody. You feel like giving up. No, you hold on to hope. It's been so hard, I get it. Yep, but you hold on to hope. Because you know that you have a Savior who loves you and who's willing to walk with you through whatever hard thing there is. And so you hold on to hope. And yes, there's been pain. And yes, there's been problems and pressures. But you've got a King of kings and a Lord of lords who's got your back. And he's pulling you forward. He's pulling you forward. And he's going to pull you out and through what you're going through. It's just what he's going to do. So hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Say it. Hold on to hope. It's your greatest resource. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the salvation that he's bringing to you. Don't let the devil rob you of your hope. You've got a reason for it. So hold on to it. I know that this world doesn't make it easy to hold on to our, our, our faith and our hope and, and our love. In fact, sometimes this world, it, it grinds us down and makes it really hard to have our, our faith and our hope and our love. Sometimes this world is a little bit like uh, this little town over in Southampton, England, where five years ago, in this one little town, in the town pond, there was a bunch of swans. And one of the swans lost his mate. And so that particular swan walked up into the town, started five years ago, I saw it in the news, and he started knocking on everybody's door. 
Like the swan, literally. Here's a picture of the swan. They, it happened so much that they named him Cedric in this little town of Southampton. Cedric the swan came and knocked on everybody's door because he had lost his mate. He was looking for his mate. And you think, oh, that's cute. He's knocking at their door. But no, what he was doing is he would go up to door after door and pound with his beak. Not for one minute, not for ten minutes, but for one hour. Two hours. Three hours. Just bang, 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 bang. Right? Closer and closer. Look at him close up. I mean, he looks cute, but look at him close up. Look at him close up. That was a cue for the projection people. Look at him close up. Oh, they missed it. That's all right. So, so there, there, there's this swan who's just banging on the door and banging on the door. And, and uh, in, in one of the news articles, this one guy named Stephen Legg talked about it. And he said this about Cedric the Swan. He said, well, he starts by rattling the letterbox, and then he bashes the metal with his beak quite loudly, and it reverberates throughout the whole house for three hours, and it doesn't do any damage, but it is quite irritating. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know what? This world is kind of like that sometimes. Like the things that just go bad, just keeps banging, 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 banging against us, and it gets quite irritating to the point where it is really hard to, to increase love, yeah, to step up faith, hold on to hope, because we're just irritated with all the things that are so hard for us. But I think that part of why the scriptures again and again talk about the second coming is because it gives us something else to look to. It gives us something to draw our attention away from the banging at the letterbox, so to speak. You can take it down now. It was cute, but I'm done with it. This world gets so hard and irritating, yes, but the second coming is always here, always here. No matter what's happening there, you get a chance to always look to what you get to anticipate in the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your Savior, Jesus, who's coming in on that white horse and he's coming in for the rescue for you. And you don't need to have any fear about what will happen. Because this is what I read in the scriptures. Back to 1 Thessalonians, but actually the chapter right before. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, chapter uh, 4, verse 16, it says this. It says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. Let me just say verse 17 again. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. The Bible doesn't actually use the word rapture, but what we just read certainly gives a very clear depiction of exactly what God's planning to do with me and you. And, and that is, while things do seem to end up getting worse and worse until there's ultimately great tribulation, what God intends to do out of his fatherly goodness is rescue his beloved and that's you. And in that moment, it says the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will be caught up. There is a suddenly about that moment. There is an all of a sudden 
in the redemptive plan of God that when you really think about it, it kind of blows your mind. Like, first of all, all of the dead in Christ will rise. Well, what about my uncle? He, he got cremated and his ashes were distributed at sea. Listen, do you think that the God who created this whole entire universe out of nothing wouldn't be able to gather up those molecules of ashes and reconstitute? Yes, of course he can. In an instant, not a doubt in the world. And when I think about the dead in Christ will rise at that moment, it blows my mind. I don't even know quite how to take it in, but it gives me great hope that those who I've loved and I've lost, that there is a moment coming when there is a reuniting that happens. There is a seeing again that happens, and there's glory to that. And when I think about where this world is going and how it does seem to get worse and worse, and I recognize there's truth in the layout of Scripture of that, I'm taking great hope that there's a moment coming when my heavenly Father and his goodness says, Suddenly, you're mine. I got you. I'm just grateful that that's his hope for us. I, I was at uh, a coffee shop a couple uh, couple months ago, and I had I, I found I was I suddenly saw what time it was. I realized I was running late, and, and I and I, I got up quickly and I, and I left. And I was running out to my car. I was running out there, and um, this guy kind of ran after me. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and he just said, "Hey, like this to me." And as soon as he did that, I'd never met him. I didn't know him. But then he got down on his knees and he started messing with my shoes. But I looked down and he was tying my shoe. My laces had been flailing and probably one more step, I would have been on my face. But this guy ran up to me, said hi, and then got down on his knees in front of me and tied my shoes. And then he got back up and he said, I'm Zach Quillacy. Uh, you don't know me, but I've been to Centerpoint a few times. I'm a pastor down in San Diego, and uh, I, I just wanted to introduce myself. <laughs> you know what was interesting is, is he saved my face, you know, literally, right? He tied my shoe. But he, he introduced himself to me and then served me in a way that, that, that saved me before I could even do anything about anything. And I think maybe that's something that Jesus wants to do for somebody right here, right now. Something kind of like that. I mean, this is what I read in the scriptures, uh, and I want you to hear it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. We kind of read through it quickly, but why don't you read this with me? Say it. Go. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask this question. How many of you, you'll, you'll raise your hand if it's affirmative, but, but you would say, I have given my life to Jesus, I've put my trust in Jesus, and I've received salvation. If so, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand. Just keep it up for a minute. And just, would you just say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Never lose sight of how good it is that God hadn't appointed you to receive wrath, but instead to receive salvation. Just one more time, put your hand up again and just say it again. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And now for others of us, maybe you've joined online, you're wondering what this is all about, or you just came today and you're on the patio, you're up in the back and you're going, I don't know. I don't know about any of this. I do want you to hear this loud and clear, that what God's greatest desire would be for you is that you would receive salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and he offers it so that you can receive it. And you receive it by believing in him, believing in Jesus and maybe this is the moment for somebody where the lights just need to come on and once and for all you say yes to him. But let's take a moment and let's pray together, can we? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And thank you that you give us this great hope of the last days. 
I'm grateful, God, for the hope of the last days. And while some people might think about the last days and something terrible comes to mind, thank you, God, for us who, who believe in Jesus, that we can think about the last days and go, whoo, he's coming <laughs> for me. I'm just so grateful for that, God. And I pray, Lord, in this moment that you would allow each one of us to have hearts that are alive with hope in what it means that Christ is coming again in glory. And I pray, Father, that you would allow that hope to carry some of us. And I pray, Father, for every one of us who just raised our hand, that we would be able to know my assignment, my assigned task, my assignment from, from God, no matter what the timeline might be of the second coming and the last days, my assignment is the same. And I'm going to step up my faith, I'm going to increase my love, and I'm going to hold on to hope because he's coming. I pray, Father, you'd help us to, to live like that with, with a faith that's getting stepped up, with a love that's getting increased, with a hope that we're holding on to. And now for somebody else, the truth is you don't know where you stand with, with God. And you don't know if you're right with God. You don't know if all the sin in your life is, is still yours or, or not. And you don't know where you stand with God, but there's a way to be right with God, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you have never asked Jesus to forgive your sin and save you, ask him to. It changes everything. It allows you to live with God's grace as your foundation. This gift of salvation is meant for you to receive in this moment. And I pray that you will. And so while we're praying together, God, I pray you'd do a spiritual awakening for somebody right now. And that there would be a sudden awareness of, of your willingness to forgive sin and give salvation. And so while we're praying together, if you're ready to do it, you're ready to cross that line and finally say yes to Jesus. To ask him to be your savior, your Lord. To give you the gift of salvation. To wash away your sin. And to give you his life. So that you can really live. If you're ready to do that, if you would say, that's me, I need to ask Jesus to forgive my sin and save my life. Right now, would you raise your hand? Right now, just raise your hand and put it up high. You're saying, I need to say yes to Jesus. And whether you're out on the patio or you're inside here, up in the back and in, in my right, thank you, I see you. That's awesome. Anyone else, just make, make sure, lift your hand, let it be known. Like I'm saying yes to Jesus, right over on my right and the far right over here, that's great. And uh, if you're online, you just type into the comments, I'm saying yes to Jesus. And would you, would, with your, your heart full of faith right now, those of you who has, have raised your hand, would you just pray with me and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Everything starts there. Just say it with me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You can say it one more time. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Just say it with me again. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And even as you're saying those words, for somebody, it's coming alive. Like the faith in Jesus is coming alive. Say it one more time. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And, and so I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. I, I, I turn from the sin. And Jesus, I turn to you. I believe you paid the price for the sin, so I don't have to carry it anymore. You carried it to the cross already. I believe that. Just picture the cross picture all your sin, and Jesus carried it all there already. Just picture that. And just say it again, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Just say it, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Just say it to him, Jesus, I believe you're alive. Would you come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord? In this moment, for somebody, it's all been changed right here and right now. 
your life forever changed. So thank you, Lord. God, we honor you. We honor you. We honor you. Honor you. I want you to stand up for a second. And if you could put the first verse of that Lion and the Lamb song on the screen for a second. I just want you to get this vision in your mind. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every chain will break. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. I want you to sing this again. That first verse. One more time. We're going to sing it again. He's coming. Sing it. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Oh, every chain will break. Yes. And every chain will break. As broken hearts declare his praise. One more time, we're gonna sing it. He's coming on the clouds. One more time, sing it. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Oh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and breaking chains. And every chain will break. As broken hearts declare his praise. Who could stop? Who could stop? The Lord Almighty. And our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. Come on, sing it. Hallelujah. 